Welcome to The Light of the World. This is Jerry G. Martin. We are coming upon the most holiest of days that is celebrated by Christian believers. It is the time that we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to present you a series of messages that will help you to understand what Jesus Christ did, but more importantly, why he did it. It was to offer sinful people eternal life. I want you to listen closely and even contact someone in your family who needs to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of today's message, we're going to share an opportunity for you or anyone you know to come to know Jesus. Come and go with us as we walk in the light of God's Word. We are Christians. The central point that separates Christians from everyone else is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If someone say they are a Christian and don't believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they are not a believer. You know, if I'd ask the question, what is the one thing that points to whether or not a person is Christian? What separates Christianity from anything else? That's Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. And as we think about it, I, I want to share with you, just to try to inform you, so it may be a little bit different this morning. I want to inform you about how did we get here to recognize and to have to come to a point of salvation by believing on someone who was hanging on a cross. How did we get to this point and why is that significant and what is that all about? In other words, you can say, Pastor, what had happened to make that the central point of our salvation to believe on Jesus Christ and his shed blood? The last time we spoke, we talked to you about the express purpose of God sending his son Jesus Christ into the world, we're told that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe on him would not perish but shall have everlasting life. But there are numerous references to Jesus as he made his appearance on the earth and we've heard many of those References. We, we know he's called the Prince of Peace. We know he's called the Lion of Judah. We know he's the Lily of the Valley. And what else? He's the bright morning star. As Jesus reached adulthood and he began to initiate his earthly ministry, that was about three years, and Jesus was about 33 years old when he was crucified. And his ministry was three years, so at about age 30, he began to initiate his earthly ministry in public. He found himself in the same area where his cousin was, and that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had been preaching a little while and he was reaching and he was talking about repentance and he was baptizing people and he had a big crowd around him and John who was filled with the Holy Ghost from his birth the Bible tells us 
before anyone else was filled. John was filled and he's preaching and then he looks out and he sees Jesus walking toward him and, and in John chapter 1 verse 29 the Bible said John saw Jesus coming toward him and said look that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. In verse 34, he says, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. He's pointing at Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, he's a Lamb of God. So I want to talk about Jesus our Passover lamb. Of all the ways John could have announced Jesus, why did he call him the lamb of God? To us, that probably don't mean anything other than a cute name that goes along with the lily of the valley and the bright morning star. But to the Jew, the Israelite, it was a very significant announcement. In his message to the Corinthians, Paul referred to Jesus as our Passover lamb. And I want to take some time to share with you the significance of understanding the reference of the Passover lamb and how he has affected your life. In order to do that, we're going to have to go back to when the lamb first became introduced as the instrument of redemption. And I want to talk about a familiar story to those who attended Sunday school. And for those who may not, you, you may say, oh yeah, I remember a little something about that. The people of God were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Moses spoke to Pharaoh and asked him to let God's people go. And after he refused, God sent several plagues, but he still would not set God's people free. Now, before I go any further, let me back up a little bit. I want to tell you that the Bible in the Old Testament uses a lot of what we call types. So I'm going to explain to you what a type is, because there is a type and an anti-type. Uh, we would say sometimes that Pharaoh was a type of the devil. Now, he wasn't the devil, but he was a type of the devil. Now, some of you are old enough to remember typewriters. So y'all are laughing, but I remember my son, Jared, we were walking in a business, and he pointed to an object. He said, Dad, what is that? And I said, what's what? He said, that. And he pointed to this thing. I said, that's a typewriter. <laughs> and I thought, you never seen a typewriter, but I just remembered that he grew up on a keyboard and a computer. But those of us who sent a typewriter, they, they had the letters that were engraved in the metal strikers. So if you wanted to press the keyboard and press the letter J, the J went through a ribbon and it typed it and it left a J on your paper. The J on your paper was not the letter, it was the type. The letter was still on the metal striker and the metal striker had the anti-type 
That was the actual thing, but it left something that looks like it and can represent it. Pharaoh wasn't the devil, but he was the type in Scripture. When John the Baptist said, Jesus, that's the Lamb of God, Jesus was the anti-type. But we're going to show you the type in the Scriptures. So you got Pharaoh that has people, God's people in bondage. And this whole story of God's people being in bondage in Egypt is the type of our individual bondage to sin. They were in slavery and didn't matter what they did, they could not set themselves free. No matter how they lived, how much they complained, how hard they worked, they could not set themselves free. They had a situation they could not break free on their own. So God sent Moses to talk to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I'm not letting them go. In fact, I'm going to work even harder. You can be in a life of sin and you can just talk to the devil and say, let me go. He said, well, I mean, let you go. You belong to me. I mean, let you go. You're working for me. Shut up and go back to work. Let's look at this story. Now, this is a lengthy story because you need to see this whole picture. And we're going to read some lengthy scripture right now. In the book of Exodus, chapter 11, all of the plagues had been released upon Egypt. The frogs, the blood in the water, the gnat, all of those things had happened. And Pharaoh says, hey, I don't care what you do. I'm not letting them go. God says, okay, I knew that. This is what I'm going to do. So Moses said, verse 4, Exodus 11. This is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. God says, this is my judgment upon those who function according to their own system and has, is my enemy and who are disobedient to me. I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt, didn't he? Everyone will be destroyed. Every firstborn of everyone in the country. Verse 6, there will be a loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be. But among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at a man or animal. That's when you will know the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. God says, I make a distinction between who is mine and who is not mine. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month of your year. This is when God, for the Israelites, changed their calendar. You've been going by the Egyptian calendar. And now you're going to start over with a brand new year this month. When I get ready to deliver you, it starts over for you. That's the way it is in our lives. When God delivers us, we get a brand new start. He said, you've been born again, you got a new birthday. That message was a type 
of your being born again. You start all over again. This month for you is to be the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share with their nearest neighbor. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. Verse 5. The lamb you choose must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roasted over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat. And he said, now I want to show you how to eat it. With your cloak tucked in your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. This is where we first see that concept of the Passover. Verse 12 says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He said judgment is coming and that angel the only thing that death angel when he's coming down the street he's coming down the pathway and he's looking at every house that he's not looking in the house he's looking on the house and I want to see if there's blood I'm passing if there's no blood I'm going in. Amen. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Verse 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once, select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. Not one of you shall go out the door of his house till morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. At midnight, verse 29 says, the Lord struck down all the firstborns in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, to the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all Egypt got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Think about that picture that night in Egypt. God says judgment is coming. And if you want to escape the judgment, you better be covered by the blood. I was just thinking about this. I don't know what time they went to bed back in the day in Egypt but the death angel didn't start moving at midnight 
he said all the houses were woken so that death angel must have made some noise or somebody that made some noise when he came in there because everybody's house there was some crying and wailing and weeping going on all at the same time and then God says okay Moses you saw what happened in verse 43 the Lord said to Moses and Aaron I want to do this again I want you to recognize what I've done for you and I want you to remember what I've done and I'm going to call it the Passover and this is the regulations for the Passover in verse 43 no foreigner is to eat of it that's almost like the communion no unbelievers should take communion any slave you have brought may eat of it after you have circumcised them that means he may not be a uh, an Israelite but he can come clean but a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it verse 46 it must be eaten while inside one house take none of the meat outside the house do not break any of the bones of the lamb his bones shall not be broken verse 50 all the Israelites did what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. This story in Exodus chapter 12 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible for the simple fact that it is where God instituted the Passover for Israel. And at the same time, he established one of the most prominent types in the Bible that prefigures Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in his atoning death on the cross. Here's what God is saying. He told Israel to do typically with the Passover what he was going to fulfill actually with Jesus on the cross. The Passover lamb as a type not only points to Christ Jesus as our Passover lamb slain and sacrificed for sins but also point back to the fact that God had this plan before Time began in the earth because the Bible says, uh, Behold the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. God already knew that Adam was going to sin. He already knew that Pharaoh was going to act up. He already knew. So God never have to make it up while it's going on. He already knows. He already has uh, the plan. And Jesus Christ was going to be that sacrificial lamb even before the foundations of the world. Jesus says, I'm the one. In the death of Jesus Christ, he fulfilled the prophetic picture and the type of the Passover and Exodus and every detail and aspect associated with it. I want to compare some of those details. Number one, every man in every household was to have a lamb for sacrifice. Every household. He said each household need to do this. Like those in Exodus, each one of us must experience salvation individually. You can't ride on somebody else's household. You can't call your neighbor. Just put the blood over your house. Hey, I'm close enough. He's going to pass over. If he got to pass over yours, he's probably going to pass over mine. No, you need the blood on your own house. Every individual Jew had to personally appropriate and had to accept God's deliverance through the blood of the Lamb. Now, nobody was going to make you stay in the house. He said, don't you go outside. Now, you can say, I don't know why I can't go outside. I want to see what's happening. He said, okay. And that's what people do. They have the word of the Lord and they just decide they want to do something different. 
But he says, you can go outside. Now notice, he didn't have any kind of requirements for the people except that they stay inside. In other words, you don't have to go out and be so clean. You don't have to go out and do anything to receive this salvation or this Passover. Just stay in the house. Get under the blood and stay there. You don't have to do anything to be saved, but just get under the blood. You don't have to meet any requirements. You don't have to try to do, be a really, really good person or change anything. You can't change anything, but God will change you when you are born again. Every individual Jew had to personally accept God's deliverance. Salvation then and now is an individual decision and an experience between him and her, every man and woman, and their Savior. You must personally come to Christ and believe that he is the Lamb of God that took away your sins and will save you from the wrath to come. No one else can do this for you. You can't just ride on your mother's coattail. Let me just share this with you. You must be born again to become a child of God. God has only children. He has no grandchildren. You can't say my mama is saved so that makes me saved. No, he has no grandchildren. You don't get grandfathered in or grandchild in. My uncle, my aunt, he ain't got no other kinfolk but children. Got to be a child of God. Everybody are born by the spirit of God. You can't say I'm a cousin of the Lord. You better be a child of God. It was an act of faith for the Israelites to put the blood of the lamb on the door. You know, and people are people, and they, the Bible says there was 600,000 men or so that came out of Egypt. And you know somebody's going to start complaining. Why we got to put blood on my door? I just fixed this door. <laughs> I don't agree with that. Just like people today, pastor tell them something. Say, you need to win soul for you. I don't believe everybody needs to go do that. People start complaining before they even think about it. And I know somebody was saying, I don't know why I need to do this. And no doubt there's probably, the Bible doesn't say it, but just human nature, there's probably somebody that didn't do it. It takes faith to believe. Here's what Moses said. You kill your lamb and you put that blood on the top and the sides of your door and you stay inside. Don't you come outside. He must be getting ready to do something. He don't want nobody to come outside. <laughs> what is he getting ready to do? I heard something out there. I want to go see. He always think he run things. Why he got to tell me what to do? I'm a, I'm a, I'm a man. Or the wife said, baby, go on out there and see what's... <laughs> she just trying to get rid of him. But be sure we got some blood over the door, but you got to go on out there. <laughs> it's an act of faith. I want to believe. What is this blood supposed to do? What's that supposed to do? What does that mean? I don't believe that. And some people say, you think you just believe on Jesus Christ and he's going to save you? Yes. This is Jerry G. Martin, and we brought you a message today to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we are coming toward our Good Friday and Easter celebration, our Resurrection Sunday, I think it is so vital that we share the message of the grace and the goodness, the redemption, 
and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ brings to every person. I don't know who you are, and I don't know where you are, and I don't know where you are in your walk with the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity, if you do not know him as your Lord and Savior, to make a decision right now. It was Jesus who said, I don't come for those who are. He came to seek and to save those who are lost. If you are lost and you feel hopeless or helpless or disconnected in your spiritual life, today is a great opportunity for you just to turn to Christ and invite him into your heart, invite him into your life, and he will come in with his divine power and his spirit and he will do for you what he's done for me and so many others. He will turn your life around. If you would like us to join you and pray with you and help you to get connected, call us right now at 281-964-1393 and say, I made a decision for Christ. I need to get connected so I can continue to grow. Again, that's 281-964-1393. Jesus Christ came to give you everlasting life and we will walk that journey out with you. Be sure to call us and then join us for our Easter Sunday service at 10 a.m. at 16161 Old Humble Road or online at lowcf.org. Now for the light of the world, this is Jerry G. Martin saying, may the Lord our God richly bless you and we'll be with you again next time.